G'day everyone. Can anyone else smell smoke? Is it coming in through the air conditioning? We'll just keep an eye on that. We have emergency procedures if we need them, which is good. It's probably just a bushfire nearby. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get into God's Word together. Uh, it's a long weekend, so that has lowered our numbers a little, but that's okay because those of us who are here are here to work hard in God's Word, I hope. And so have John 15 open there and also your sermon outline to see where we're going. Let's pause and pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and his words in this passage. Lord, as we hear him speak, help us to know and see him more clearly and help us then to understand you as well. We pray that you would strengthen us and help us to live for our Lord Jesus through these words. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if there's anyone here who did agriculture as a subject during school. Put your hand up right now if you have ever studied agriculture in any formal kind of way. That may be a reflection of how interesting the subject is. Did you enjoy it, those of you who did agriculture? I'm getting, I'm getting not, uh, shaking the head, okay, it's not very interesting. When I was in high school, I couldn't think of anything worse. People would be like, oh, I've got ag next, and I'm like, <laughs> why would you want to do that? I'd, I'd much rather play music or just study music or I did studies of religion and that kind of thing and that was much more interesting. Now I'm sure that if I looked into it I would find something very interesting about agriculture but just the idea of it doesn't sound very interesting to me. Today in God's Word we have a lesson on agriculture from our Lord Jesus but it is as far from boring as it can get because this agriculture lesson is life or death. It is joy and love. It's Jesus revealing true life to us. It's the best agriculture lesson there has ever been. So now, remember where we're up to so far in in the Gospel of John. It's the night before Jesus goes to the cross. It's his last Passover meal with his disciples. Judas has gone out and into the night to betray Jesus. And so now Jesus prepares his 11, the remaining 11, for his departure. He says, I'm going, I'm going to the cross and I'm going back to my Father in heaven. Here's what you need to know in order to, uh, for when I'm gone. In the first half of the passage is Jesus' agriculture lesson. He paints this wonderful image, powerful yet simple. Now, not all the details are simple, so let's explore it together and see what we can discover. Come with me, look at verse 5, we'll start there. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The image is simple enough, isn't it? Jesus has used many I am statements before in John's gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life last week. Now Jesus says, I am the vine, a grapevine. And that they, the 11 disciples, are the branches coming off the vine. It's a simple image, isn't it? But it's powerful. He's saying, you disciples are connected to me. You have life because of me. Because I am the vine and you are the branches that are connected to me. But that's not all there is to the image. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vineyard keeper. 
Jesus is the vine and his father, God the father, is the vineyard keeper, the grape farmer. Again, Jesus shows us that he, God the son, has this unique and personal relationship with God the father. They are one. The Father loves and cares for the Son. The Son loves and lives for the Father. But did you notice Jesus said, I am the true vine, as opposed to a false vine, Jesus? Well, yes, actually, that's what he means. Because for Israel, the image of a vine was common. In the Old Testament, a vine or a vineyard was a symbol for the nation, the people of Israel. And so it was really clear in our Isaiah reading before, wasn't it? Israel was a vine, a vineyard that God had planted and nurtured and cared for. But how did Israel respond? What fruit did the vine produce? Look at Isaiah verse 7. I printed it on your outline. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He looked on the vine for fruit, for justice, but saw injustice. He looked for, for righteousness but instead heard cries of wretchedness. Time and time again, the nation of Israel turned against Yahweh their God and sinned against Him. They didn't produce the good fruit that He desired. Instead, there was rotten fruit, the stench of sin. And So what's Jesus saying when He says, I am the true vine? He's saying, I am the true Israel. I am the Israel that Israel never was faithful, obedient to the Father, loving to Him, loving my neighbor as myself. Look down at verse 10. Jesus claims, I am 100% faithful. I have kept my Father's commands. Who else can say that? He is the true vine, faithful to His Father, the vine keeper. So the image is simple, isn't it? But it's powerful. And in the rest of the verses, Jesus builds on this image, adds more detail, adds more complexity, and shows us what does it mean for Jesus to be the vine and for us to be the branches. Well, it means that those, first of all, those connected to Jesus are truly God's people. And only they, they alone, can bear good fruit. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit unless it it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Simple, isn't it? Even if it is a little bit cryptic. Now, I don't know if you've got any gardening know-how whatsoever. I've got a tiny bit. I didn't study agriculture at school. But it's pretty obvious, isn't it, that if you cut a branch of a vine, what happens? Nothing happens to that, vine, to that branch, does it? It withers, it dies, it cannot produce any grapes, any fruit. And so here, Jesus is making this powerful claim to exclusivity. Jesus is saying, unless you remain on the vine, that is, unless you remain connected to Him, joined to Him, in fellowship with Him, trusting in Him, you cannot you are unable to produce the fruit that pleases God. He is the vine keeper, and a person who does not know his son, the vine, cannot do what pleases him. 
This is really important because we live in a world where so many people say, I think I'm okay with God. I'll be fine in the end on judgment day if there is one because I'm a good person. But they don't want anything to do with Jesus. They don't care about following him. They're not in fellowship with him. They don't know him. And so whatever they do is actually not the good works, the good fruit that God the Father wants to see. Because he desires that people have faith in his son and live in radical obedience to him. That's the fruit he desires, not to live a vaguely moral life that's disconnected from Jesus. And so if that's you here today, and you live what you think is a moral life, but it is, has no reference to Jesus Christ, then you need to repent. Jesus says, you cannot produce fruit if you don't remain in me. Like we heard last week, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says the same thing here in a different way. No one can produce fruit unless they are joined to Jesus. And Jesus issues this clear warning to those who don't remain in him in verse 2. Have a look there. He says, Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he, the Father, removes. And then verse 6, If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. God the Father is the vine keeper, and any person who doesn't remain connected to the vine, Jesus... Well, they face God's terrible judgment, don't they? And so Jesus says, he pleads with the 11 disciples, and with us even today, verse 4, remain in me and I in you. How do we remain in Jesus? What does he say? How do you make sure you're a branch that stays connected to the vine? What does it mean to remain in Jesus? Well, Jesus gives us a few very big hints. Verse 3, he says to his disciples... You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Jesus uses a bit of a play on words here. It's interesting. He uses the word clean because it sounds similar to the word prune in the original language. And so Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't worry, you are already a pruned branch. You are already clean. You have been washed clean and made right with me. How? Jesus says, by the word I have spoken to you. These 11 men have heard Jesus speak. They've heard his word that comes from the Father and they have believed. They have been washed clean. That's what it means to remain in Jesus, to respond rightly to his word. Jesus says it like this in verse 7. Look there. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. To remain in Jesus is to hear and respond to his word by believing and obeying. We remain in Jesus as we day by day continue to hear that word, as we read it and respond to it in our lives. And if we remain in Jesus, Jesus says we have this incredible joy and privilege. Have a look down at verse 8. My Father is glorified by this that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As we believe and obey the word of Jesus, the true vine, we remain connected to him. We show ourselves to be genuine disciples and all of this 
gives glory to God the Father. That is the great joy and privilege of being connected to Jesus the vine. So that's the image that Jesus paints for us. He is the vine, we are the branches. It's the best agriculture lesson that there ever has been, isn't it? But Jesus goes on in the second half of the passage, he changes gear a little and he gives us more information. He tells us more of what it looks like to remain in him. And so at the heart of what Jesus says, remaining in him is all about love. So come with me in the second half of the passage, take a breath if you need to, jump back on board. Verse 9 is where we're starting. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus yet again draws on the relationship between him and his Father to talk about his relationship with his disciples. There's a bit of a love triangle going on here. Between God the Father and God the Son, there exists this unique relationship of love. For all eternity past, God the Father and God the Son have existed in this perfect union, this relationship of love, along with the Holy Spirit. And during Jesus' earthly life, well, the Father has loved the Son then as well, hasn't he? He has provided for him. He has protected him. He has cared for him, given all things into his hands, John says. Jesus says, just as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, disciples. Jesus passes on the love of the Father to us. That's wonderful, isn't it? We get to experience the very love that exists from within God as God the Father sends his Son to love us. This is the wonder of being a Christian, of remaining in Jesus. We are in his love. We experience the love of Jesus. We are not treated as we deserve for our sins. We don't face God's judgment alone. No, instead, Jesus speaks his cleansing word to us. He goes to the cross for us. He goes to prepare a place in his Father's house, and he will come back and take us to be with him. When you are a branch connected to Jesus, the vine, you are in his love. Jesus is comforting. He's encouraging his disciples. But he's also challenging them, isn't he? He's saying, remain in me. Remain in my love. You need to choose to stay with me, to dwell in me. Jesus tells us, verse 10, how to do this. Look there, if you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. Do you see that relationship between the Father and the Son again? The Father loves the Son, and the Son obeys the Father, and so remains in the Father's love. The same goes for Jesus' disciples. How do we remain in Jesus' love? We obey His commands, His words. As we hear his words, we believe them, we obey them, we continue to live a life of hearing those words and obeying them, persevering and staying connected to Jesus, and so we remain in his love. Now, what's the result of all this? Verse 11, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus wants his disciples to have the same joy that he has. As he obeys the Father and remains in his love, he has joy completed. 
It is a pleasure and privilege for Jesus to do his Father's will. Jesus wants us to experience that same joy with him. As he obeys his Father in heaven, so we obey our Lord Jesus. As he is filled with joy, so we are filled with joy as we walk out, living out Jesus' commands. It is a pleasure and privilege to do the will of Jesus. And in verse 14, he says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. He wants us to have the joy of being his friends, remaining in him. Now, I wonder if you've ever experienced that. I hope all of you have. That Jesus wants you to experience that joy, to have your joy completed in living for him, in remaining in his love, even when it's hard. Because it is hard. Jesus found it hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but as people who have experienced Jesus' amazing love, it is our joy to obey his command. And now Jesus hones in down on one particular command. He wants us to obey all his commands, yes, but he focuses in on this one central command, verse 12. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. Of all Jesus' commands, this one stands at the very center. They are to love one another as, in the same way, that Jesus has loved them. He's already said this, hasn't he? Back in chapter 13, do you remember? He washed his disciples' feet and then he said, Go and do as I have done for you. Do this for one another. Wash each other's feet. Love in this kind of humble and sacrificial way. Back in chapter 15, Jesus gives us two examples of his great love for us. Verse 13, he says, No one has greater love than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. It will be less than 24 hours before Jesus would do just that for his disciples. Jesus is our example of love to follow as someone who lays down his life for his friends. Verse 15, Jesus says, I don't call you slaves, I call you friends. Why? This is the other way that Jesus shows love, because he says, I have made known to you everything my Father has told me. He has loved them by sharing everything that God the Father has revealed to him to say, for their joy and for their good. The heart of Jesus' commands, all of them, is the command to love one another, fellow believers in Christ. To actively seek to love fellow disciples. To lay down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And can I tell you that this is perhaps one of the greatest joys and sorrows of being a minister. As a minister, I get to see perhaps more than others, sadly, when Jesus' disciples don't love one another. It is the greatest of tragedies, isn't it? When Jesus loves his disciples and then his disciples... Don't follow his example. When we don't love one another, when people drop harsh or snide comments, when people hold grudges or gossip behind people's backs, when people ignore a brother or sister in need and just turn a blind eye, when people can't be bothered to make meeting together a priority over the other things in their life, when people say, at least on the inside, oh, I'm not going to help out in that way, that's beneath me. Where is the love that Jesus commands here in John 15? 
Sometimes I find myself asking these questions. Perhaps we all should. Questions like, if I'm not willing to serve on church rosters, what does that say about my love for the saints? Or on the flip side, if I do serve on church rosters, but I do it begrudgingly, or I ignore the unrostered needs that are right in front of me, what does that say about my love and my service? Perhaps it's hollow at best. What does it say about our love when we only hang out with people at church whom we like and get along with and avoid others? If we are not willing to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, then we are not obeying Jesus' most important command here, to love as he has loved. How can we say we remain in Jesus and not love like him? But, and here's some encouragement, let me tell you that as a minister, I get to see perhaps more than others, the disciples of Jesus loving one another humbly and sacrificially. It is an overwhelming joy to see this in the saints here at this congregation and across all our church. To see people give lifts to those who can't drive, no matter how far away they live. To see people cook meals for people after they've had surgery or a baby has been born. And I've been the wonderful recipient of that love just over the last few weeks. I'm very thankful. It is a joy to see people devote themselves to our gatherings so that they can build one another up, even if it takes them out of their comfort zone, even if it costs them time and energy. To see people step outside of their natural friendships at church and ensure others are loved and cared for, that is wonderful. It is a joy when someone comes up to me and says, I'll do anything. I'll serve in any way that's needed. Nothing is beneath me. Just point me in the direction of a way to serve or someone to love. I want to wash the disciples' feet. That is what Jesus commands and models for us, isn't it? And I see it, and I'm full of joy. But then, to finish off in our passage, we come back to Jesus' agriculture lesson. His image of the vine and branches and bearing fruit. Read it with me because Jesus brings it all together in these verses. Verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, disciples, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. Just in case the disciples think they're the clever ones who decided, Yeah, I'm going to follow that guy, Jesus. Jesus reminds them, No, I'm actually the one who called you to follow me. I chose you. I sought you. It's a great reminder for us, isn't it? That Jesus takes the initiative in calling us to himself. Praise God. But Jesus called these disciples, these 11, for a specific purpose. Did you see it? Look again at verse 16. I appointed you. Jesus gives them a job. What's the job? That you disciples should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain. And it's at this point that we see what Jesus is really talking about. We start to see what it really means for Jesus to produce fruit, for his disciples to produce fruit. Yes, it means believing in him and living for him. Yes, it means doing righteousness and justice, like we read in Isaiah. But it also means being appointed to go out. Jesus is talking about his mission in the world, isn't he? These 11 disciples were appointed as Jesus' apostles, sent out into the world by him to preach the gospel, to proclaim Jesus. 
And as they went out and proclaimed Jesus to the world, what happened? They produced fruit. The fruit of people believing in Jesus. And as they built up those disciples with the word of God, what happened? That fruit remained. Those people persevered until the end. Think of the Great Commission. This is it in other words. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. The fruit that God the Father, the vine keeper, longs to see is people coming to know his son. People being branches grafted in to our Lord Jesus and producing fruit, growing more and more like him. This is why the disciples need to love one another. As they love one another, they build one another up for this task, to go and proclaim Jesus in the world. This is how, and if they love one another, this is how the world will know that they are Jesus' disciples. And don't we have that same joy and privilege today? To love one another and build one another up so that we can go out into the world and proclaim Jesus. So that we can produce fruit. The fruit of people coming to Jesus and finding life in Him. So, at the end of a passage like this, The big question we have to ask, I think, is simply this. What kind of branch are you? Are you a branch that is connected to Jesus, the vine? Are you someone who believes in Jesus, who has come to believe in him, the source of eternal life, the way, the truth, and the life? We always have to ask this question at church. I don't care if you get tired of it, because some of you here might be hearing about this for the very first time. Or some of you might still be investigating Jesus. Or some of you might have heard about Jesus your whole life, but you've never really come to know him. You don't know his love. You don't believe in him. If any of those people are you, then Jesus' warning and his promise are clear in the scriptures. Look at verse 6 again. Jesus' warning is that if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. That's his warning. The Father's righteous anger is for those who reject his son, Jesus. But his promise is this, that anyone who believes in Jesus will not perish, but will have eternal life. You will be in his love. You will not face God's judgment for your sin you will have forgiveness, full and free. So are you connected to Jesus the vine? Call out to him in prayer today. Seek the forgiveness and life that he offers you. But for those of us who are in Christ, who are connected to Jesus our vine, what's the question for us? It is, will you remain in Jesus the vine? Will you be a branch that remains in Jesus and produces much fruit? Now, notice that the command of this passage is not go and produce fruit, and especially not go and do it on your own. No, you can't do good to earn your salvation. You're saved by grace. You can't even produce the fruit that the Father wants you to without Jesus. No, remain in Jesus. That is the command of this passage. That's our response. Remain in Jesus' love, and you will produce fruit, the fruit that the Father desires. And how do you remain in Jesus? You obey his commands. 
You seek his words and you let them be in you. You fill your heart and mind with them and you live by them in all your attitudes and actions. So keep his words, his commands at the center. Obsess yourself with them. Hear them, read them, learn them. Live by them. Make them your joy and doing them your joy. In particular, obey that command to love other believers as he has loved you so that the world will know and see that we are his disciples and we produce fruit in our world. Will we remain in Jesus the vine? Let's pray that we would. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for Jesus our vine. We thank you that as we are joined to him by faith, that you give us life. We thank you that we remain in Jesus' love and that you've given us his words and his commands to live out. Father, help us to remain in Jesus all the days of our lives and to live out his word. Father, help us to have his commands at the center. Most of all, that command to love one another. Lord, fill us with sacrificial and humble love for the saints. And we pray for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.